0: Hello and welcome to Strength and Dignity. This is Michaela Estruth and you are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Today I'm going to do a combination of something I've done in past episodes where I first look at a brief article from Ms. Magazine and then analyze it and discuss it and I'm also going to bring in a biblical example like I did with Eve a couple episodes again in contrast to something that this article is saying. So today we're talking about the struggle of teenage girls specifically involving insecurity or mental health issues and how to deal with that deep pain and that deep struggle. In a proper biblical way and then also looking at maybe where is that coming from and why is there such an inflation in that in our time so the CDC conducted some research for several high schools public and private and they released just recently the results and in their report they said that teenage girls are engulfed in a growing wave of violence and trauma They gave some stats, which are that nearly one in every three high school girls reported in 2021 that they seriously considered suicide, up nearly 60% from a decade ago. The CDC also reported that almost 15% of teenage girls said they were forced to have sex, an increase of 27% over two years, and the first increase since the CDC began tracking it. So these results were posted on Ms. Magazine's website, and they didn't really comment on it much other than just offering these results and saying that teenage girls are engulfed in a growing wave of violence and trauma. And then they cited a professor of child and adolescent psychiatry, Sharon Hoover, who teaches at the University of Maryland School of Medicine, and she's the co-director of the National Center for School Mental Health. She said that she was struck by the magnitude of the increase and the gender difference. They also cited Richard Wiseboard, a psychologist and senior lecturer at Harvard's Graduate School of Education. He said there is probably not a single cause to explain the data, but rather interacting causes that vary by race, ethnicity, class, culture, and access to mental health resources. So as I was reading these results, I was just contemplating why we're struggling with this in our time why is it so hard to grow up in this time and the answer that just came to my mind is that because we have completely subjected truth we say that truth is subjective that there is no standard of right and wrong and so to raise young children in that means that we don't know what is good and they don't know whom to believe they are being taught opposing messages in school in home if they go to church And they don't know what's right and what's wrong. In addition, one of the main themes of 2022 and now into 2023 is that young women are being told that they have less rights than their mothers did since the overturn of Roe v. Wade in the Dobbs decision in June. And so there's this constant comparison to the women beforehand and how young teenagers are responding to that today. But I think one of the most frustrating things that I find about the feminist agenda is their desire to support and protect girls, and yet while doing that, completely destroy them. So the feminist agenda says it is pro-women and it is seeking to help and aid women and young girls in who they are. They say that women should not be objectified, and yet... The very nature of the feminist movement is to objectify women, basically to point to the female sex as the reason why you have all of these rights and objectify you mostly in appearance in terms of what we see on social media, what we see in our ads and on TV, in our magazines. Just what is beauty is very clearly defined by our culture in a way that it should not be defined. The standard of beauty is equated to makeup, appearance, dress. It all taunts women because it says that this is what you need to live up to and it taunts men because it says this is what you should expect. And then women become frustrated at men when they objectify a woman who is dressing for his attention or in terms of the way the culture defines how a woman should dress for attention. And so... You, the feminist agenda is trying to have it both ways, and they simply can't. On this topic, Rebecca Merkel, author of Eve in Exile, writes Who was it that worked tirelessly to break all the cultural taboos that had been in place for centuries? The feminists. They're the ones who insisted on talking about sex all the time, into the microphone, and refusing to ever shut up about it. They're the ones who dragged the bedroom out into the public square. The feminists ran a wrecking ball through public decency, and once a taboo is broken, it's broken forever. The fact that rappers can disgustingly, obscenely, and gratuitously praise horrific violence against women over the airwaves and make lots of money doing it, that's a big thank you to the feminist. So her point is basically that our culture has adopted the very thing that we were against in the first place. Back in the 1950s, before the second wave feminist movement, it was rare that sex was talked about in public, that birth control or any means of contraception was talked about in public. And yet now, abortion and contraception are the talk of the day every single day. And social media has picked up on this and smacks us in the face over and over again. Especially young girls who are on these platforms and they're just being presented with images of what is beautiful. And so thoughts in their mind just perpetually hit them of, I'm not pretty enough. I don't look like her. This is how I should lose weight. This is how I should pose in order to get the appearance of a smaller stomach or a better figure. This is what guys like and so I have to prove myself. I have to live up to this standard. While at the same time they're saying, love yourself, uh, have you time, don't, don't, everyone is different and they, they can't win. They can't have it both ways because now these girls are looking around and they're lost and they're confused and they don't know who to believe. And when girls are looking around for meaning and looking around for what they should be doing and how they should be presenting themselves, how can they not turn to something that is pleasurable and that will gratify them and make them feel loved? Because the deep desire of almost everyone is to love and to be loved. I love this quote from the movie Little Women, the 2019 version. And it definitely has a feminist agenda in what the main character, Joe, is saying. But I think she's right. I think she has a point, And you really feel for her because you understand the exact feeling that she's presenting. So listen to what she says. No, I just, I just feel, I just feel like... Women, they they have minds, and they have souls, as well as just hearts, and they've got ambition, and they've got talent, as well as just beauty, and I'm so sick of people saying that that love is just all a woman is fit for. I'm so sick of it, but I'm, I'm so lonely. So she admits... She's so lonely. And she admits the qualities that women have. They have minds and they have souls and more than just hearts. And why is everyone saying that they're only fit for love? But also, that's what I want. I want to be loved and I want to love. And that is exactly why our mental health is at the crisis that it's at. That is exactly why these numbers that the CDC has reported are so shocking and yet reflective of what is going on, especially in our young women in this society. It's an expression of loneliness. You're listening to Strength and Dignity. This is Michaela Estruth, thanks for tuning in. So I just made a point that our mental health crisis and the statistics reported by the CDC is a result of true loneliness in society. So now I want to turn to a biblical example of a woman dealing with this immense pain and, in a sense, loneliness, dealing with her pain and her grief and her sadness and how she does that and how she handles it. So I'm going to be talking about Hannah um, from 1 Samuel chapter 1. So there's a competition. Hannah's husband has two wives, Hannah herself and Peninnah. And Peninnah is mocking her because Hannah is barren. And Peninnah has many children with her husband. The passage says is distraught, that she is completely distressed and frustrated with her circumstance that she cannot conceive and Penina is mocking her. Uh, my teacher in high school when he taught this passage said it was the classic girl drama in the movie Mean Girls or any other movie where there's a good there's the protagonist girl and then the mean girl who is always making fun of her and has everything and is popular and is mocking her but you feel for the main girl who's sad and he in a way is right and Connecting it back to our earlier discussion, teenage girls very naturally fall into this competitive nature. Good girl, bad girl, popular girl, unpopular girl, mean girl, kind girl. All of that goes on while they're growing up, and it's a hard struggle. So let's look at how Hannah handles this. She goes before the Lord in prayer, and she is honest. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 10 says, She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And in her prayer in verse 11, she says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And as Hannah is praying in the temple, the priest Eli sees her and sees her murmuring because she's not audibly praying out loud. She's murmuring and she's crying and the priest thinks that she's drunk. And so he kind of scolds her and her response in verse 15 is, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And Eli says to her, Go in peace, and God will grant your petition. But I love Hannah's words, that she says, I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord, and I have been speaking of my great anxiety and vexation. And that's something that I think is truly important that we often forget to do as Christians, that we should pour out our soul and our anxieties and our vexations before the Lord. And that can be done in different ways through audible prayer, through silent prayer, through writing, through singing. Whatever is the best way to express your emotions and your struggles, But the Lord wants to hear. He knows our struggles. He knows all things about us, but he wants us to come to him in confidence and confide in him and ask for his help. And that's exactly what Hannah does. She meets him in her pain and suffering. And the Lord does answer her prayer. And she names her son Samuel, which means the Lord hears. And she brings Samuel as promised to dedicate him to the Lord and have him grow up in the temple taught by the priests And she says to Eli, when she brings her son Samuel, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And this son, her son Samuel, is the one who will anoint King Saul and King David of Israel, The Lord has great plans for this child, whom he promised to Hannah and gave to her. So not only does Hannah offer her vexation and her frustration before the Lord in prayer, but she also, once he answers her desire, she sacrifices what she most desires. This shows a faith and a humility, because As seen in chapter one at the beginning, she is truly so lonely and so wrecked and frustrated and sad that she does not have a son. And then when she's given a son, she gives up that son for the Lord. So it shows that our only satisfaction is in the Lord alone, but it also shows that her loneliness was answered through the giving of a son, and then through the giving of God Himself, because she was able to give up her son and not walk away lonely. So while Hannah's suffering is different than the suffering of young teenage girls, which is what we're talking about, they are rooted in the same problem: the the problem of loneliness and the problem of feeling lost and um, insecure and meaningless. And so our job is to be speaking truth into these. Lives into these young girls lives so that they can find their true identity so that they can know what is good and beautiful going back to rebecca merkel she calls women back into their place she says that we have abandoned our posts and that's why things are falling apart because this is an important position that the lord has given specifically to women and when that post is abandoned things crumble so she says let's faithfully lay ourselves down Trust in God's kindness and truly believe that He will make us like watered gardens, like springs of water that never run dry. Let's pray that it will be said of us these were the women who raised up the foundations of many generations, who repaired the breach, who restored the paths to dwell in. So, our job is to encourage our daughters. I believe that what our culture is doing right now is truly drowning our daughters. We are suffocating our sons and drowning our daughters because we're presenting images that are not true and lies and deception and saying that you can find satisfaction in something that you can't and saying you have to meet this expectation and you have to look like this person in order to be enough and it's not true. One clear example of this, specifically on social media, is something called the Made for You page, which is also the search bar. If you ever want to search anything, specifically someone that you might know on Instagram, you go to the search bar and you type in their name or their handle in order to find them to see if they have Instagram. Well, in that section, that whole page of the search bar, is a for you section, which is basically designed reels and images that are specifically supposed to target your interest. And the really sad thing about this is, one, it's a little scary that such an app or such a program can literally know what you might be more likely inclined to click on or likely inclined to stare at for longer. But the other thing is something that I have found is that makes you all the more lonely because a lot of the things that young teenage girls or young teenage boys are watching are things that they don't have and things that they want and things that they desire like Joe was saying I want to be loved and I'm so lonely and so a lot of the reels will be a beautiful couple walking on the beach or a wedding video or bridesmaids surrounded by a bride or the a video of valentine's day ideas and then girls in swimsuits like on the beach in the perfect swimsuit and it's all over instagram especially but any other platform really and it's mocking to girls who like just go to the search bar and then see all these things that they don't have and in the same way i believe i said we're drowning our daughters and we're suffocating our sons because Pornography used to be a thing that was very secret and, well, kind of easy to access. Not extremely easy 50 years ago, but now it is at our fingertips. It's before our eyes. Often, it's there without even trying. If the search bar is presenting images and pictures in order to get the attention of males, we are seriously suffocating our sons because it's putting these images in their mind that they can't get out. And it's not fair to women because it's objectifying women and it's taunting men. And instead, we should be teaching and training our young men how to be young men and our young women how to be young women. And what is the definition of beauty? What does beauty look like? How is it reflected in the Lord? How is it the true inner qualities and virtues that he speaks of in his word and that's what a young man should be looking for and what should a young woman be looking for for someone who cares for her and loves her for who she is and for her love for the lord not for her physical appearance so that's just one example the instagram search bar or the for you page of how we are truly suffocating our sons and drowning our daughters and so We must stand up, we must return to our post and truly speak the truth and say, be honest with the Lord, be vulnerable with him in your insecurity, in your frustration, in your pain, in your suffering, and he will meet you where you're at and he will fulfill your needs. And for those of us who daily do struggle with loneliness and sadness, I take comfort in these words from a great devotional, Every Moment Holy and this specific section is a liturgy for those who weep without knowing why. So I've taken a few lines from a longer devotional and put them together to flow into what I will read for you. Is it any wonder we should weep sometimes without knowing why? It might be anything, and then again, it might be everything. For we feel this. We have wept so often, and we will weep again. And yet, there is somewhere in our tears a hope still kept. We feel it in this darkness, like a tiny flame, when we are told Jesus also wept. You wept. Then let our tears anoint these broken things, and let our grief be as their consecration, a preparation for their promised redemption our sorrow, sealing them for that day when you will take the ache of all creation and turn it inside out, like the shedding of an old gardener's glove. O Lord, if it please you, when your children weep and don't know why, yet use our tears to baptize what you love. Thanks for listening to Strength and Dignity. This is Michaela Estruth, And you are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.